Basketball has officially entered the second half of the season. This is the time for teams to prove if they are contenders or pretenders. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, is giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Get in on the action now to claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using code THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is simple. You just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Although, you know, staying under the salary cap, not so easy. You know, just Mm -hmm. ask Jason Bottrell. (sighs) Feel the sweat like never before. Every dunk, steal, assist means so much more when you have a DraftKings daily fantasy lineup. Who do you think is going to make a a late season push this, this year in the NBA? You know what? The Heat, they're already making it. They're already making a push because they were like in like 13th a little while ago. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this was the finals last year. I think there's a, a, a non-zero chance they actually end up with the best record in the East. Nice. We'll see. We'll see. Anyway, so with DraftKings, a payday comes every day for players. So what are you waiting for? Head to the app now. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN during signup. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's code THPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Straight Up Sabres, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and Buffalo Fanatics. As always, I'm Brendan. And I'm Taylor. And today we are thrilled to welcome back a very special guest to Straight Up Sabres. He played eight seasons with the Sabres during his 19-year NHL career, in which he played 1,071 games and scored 528 points. With the Sabres, he put up 287 points in 479 games, and among defensemen is the fourth leading scorer in franchise history. He currently serves as an assistant coach of the Victoria Royals and the WHL, and we are very excited to welcome back Doug Bodger. Doug, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Very excited to have you here. As I had said there, you currently are coaching for the Royals, but as they are getting ready to now head into the bubble, you are not. Yeah, they wasn't sure what was going to happen. And the last couple of weeks, it finally got the green light to go ahead from the BC provincial government that uh, they had to have a plan. And uh, they decided to uh, bubble in, in two cities, uh, Kelowna and Kamloops. So all the BC teams are are getting together in those two towns and driving back and forth. It's about an hour and a half drive. So uh, they will play their games in Kelowna and Kamloops and they're going to play 24 games with no playoffs. So it's just kind of let it go. And they're, they have to quarantine here for two weeks. They can't leave the hotel. They can't go outside. So it's going to be a little tough go here for a while until they all get tested. And I think they're getting tested twice now. And, and uh, then they're just going to play some games. So um I'm not being a part of it, but uh, just keep watching and help out when I can. Absolutely. Yeah, that's got to be a, a very tough situation to be going into for the players and coaches alike. And so definitely understandable on that one. But let's uh, let's just jump right into to start off a little bit of Sabres talk, if that's all right. As we had said, uh, again, you being a proud alumni and fourth among defensemen and franchise scoring. So uh, we had talked a little bit before the episode here and you had said that you've been following along with the team and uh this is going to be a pretty big question to ask you to start off, but what do you think has gone wrong with the Sabres this season? Well, it's, it's tough. Um, you know, um, 
started out pretty good and uh, things were going well. And then all of a sudden they had, they got quarantined there for a while and then they came back and nothing. So uh, it's hard to put your finger on it. Um, I, I know what's, I've been there. I, I know that feeling of going through a bad streak and it's just, it's, it's a mental thing. It's all it is. It, I don't, I don't will not accuse anybody of not trying or or not playing at all. They're they're all professionals, and I'm pretty sure they're they're trying. But it's a it's a matter of um, just getting ahead and getting your mindset straight. And everybody says it's a lack of confidence, but I can't give you confidence. You have to earn that confidence yourself. So you have to go out and play. You have to get a lead and keep going. Uh, you can't let your guard down for one second and you got to keep things simple. You got to make simple plays, shoot the puck at the net, go to the net. It's got to be ugly hockey and it can't be any fancy plays to get, to get out of this. So, and I know what's going through their minds right now. And, and the biggest thing is, Oh, here we go again. And I've been there and it's so hard. It's, it's the most difficult thing. One of my favorite coaches, uh, Larry Robinson told me, uh, the game is 10% mental. The rest is in your head. So uh, that, that's true to everything. So uh, it's really, really a difficult and it's all mindset. And you just have to, every individual has to do their own part and they'll be fine. They just got to get over that one win and then they'll feel good about themselves. And like I said, everybody says, well, we're lacking confidence, but I can't, who, who can give you that? You have to earn it yourself. You have to go out there and do something to help the team. Yeah, definitely. And, and you mentioned there, uh, it kind of here we go again thing. And it's, it's interesting because it's obviously it's been a long time now, unfortunately, for the Sabres. And there's quite a few guys who have been around for, you know, five, six years, even some guys seven years, I think, in the case of Ristolainen. Uh, and these guys, you know, I, I think the start of the 2015-16 season, people thought we were turning a new leaf. This is a new group. And it hasn't really happened. And, you know, in fact, this might be the lowest point. Um, I, I was wondering how that can kind of kind of way on a, a team mentally or what the difference is if they had say broken through once because for example in your career your first four years or so in Pittsburgh the team didn't didn't make the playoffs and then you go to Buffalo you made it every year but I think four of the five years or something like that you guys lost in the first round so I'm sure eventually you wanted to break through and get more but what is the edge of you know or is there a huge mental edge to making the playoffs and being like okay at least we did that this year and at least we did that again is there a huge difference between that and just you know, not making the playoffs at all. Oh yeah, definitely. I think that's, that's everybody's goal is to get there. And I think I saw Bergerman on TV last night, the Montreal GM said, we just need to get there because anything can happen. Once you get there, you get a hot goaltender that keeps you in the game. You can win games. You get somebody that's uh, um, go, <laughs> go to a playoff pass of uh, Chris Contos and guys that just kept scoring and, and guys that got hot that weren't even on the radar. So that's the key is getting there and every anything can happen but you see you can't fall so far back that you're not going to get there and and like it's like you said um the teams in Pitt, i played on terrible teams in pittsburgh we we weren't good we were always right there close but uh we never did make the playoffs and it gets in your head and it's so hard to get out and on the other side of that i know when teams come in to play them now they're going hey don't give these guys anything because once we get ahead they're done mentally so that's on the other side so every team that's coming to play them now is going hey we can't let these guys get any life because they're down right now and let's keep them that way so 
on the other side of that, the other teams are, are, are revving up. They don't want they don't want to be the first one to lose to them. So um, it, it's a tough spot. It's really hard, and I hope they can get out of it. It's it's mentally draining and physically mentally exhausting. Well, so as it was announced on Wednesday morning, Ralph Kruger has been relieved of his duties as coach. And something that I was actually thinking about, you know, in the lead up to getting to chat with you is, you know, with you yourself being a coach and you're entering, well, in the fifth season now with the Royals, uh, I'm just curious, like, what qualities do you think that the Sabres front office should be looking for in the new coach, given the talent that's currently in the organization? Yeah, tough call there. Uh... Who, who knows, you know, I just look at Calgary and, and uh, bringing in Daryl Sutter and everybody going, what, what Daryl right. Sutter? What? And, and I have, I've been coached by Daryl. It's not fun. It's, it's demanding. He, he wants you to work and he will, he'll, he'll bench you if you're not skating, if you're not playing, he wants to be aggressive. There's no X's and O's with Daryl. It's mm-hmm. skating and work. That's it. So um, maybe that's something that would help. I don't know. Um, do you bring a Teddy Nolan back? And, uh, who knows? Uh, I think everybody's looking to the future of coaches now. There's so much video and so much off-ice stuff now. It's crazy. But for me, it's the same game. But who do you go with? Do you go with a future guy that's going to lead them into the, the video era and the uh, uh, and the watching, or do you go with the guy that just says, Hey, just get out there and play and get it done. Yeah. So early in your career, especially between Pittsburgh and Buffalo, there were a lot of coaching changes. Like your the first, I don't know, maybe decade of your career, a little bit less than that. You played for a different coach every two years or so. Do you think that could create difficulty? There's cause there's guys now like Rasmus Alliance, I'm Gurgensen, Sam Reinhardt, Jack Eichel, and others who are going to play for six or seven coaches before the time they're 26 years old. Do you think that yeah, is difficult? Um, um, you know, everybody's different. Everybody wants you to do, and everybody has a different system. And um, it, it does get difficult. You're used to playing one way. Uh, but personally, you're there because you do something well. Either you are a good defensive player, a good offensive player, a good penalty killer, a good power play guy. So you have to do within yourself what you can control. I really believe that. And, you know, I, I coach kids and, and I say, well, you can do this and this. And they go, I can't. I go, okay. I get you, <laughs> you know, we'll bring in this guy. He can do that. So everybody's different. You got to look at that way and, and, uh, and do what you're capable of doing. You're there for a reason. You're either a good player. At, you're good at something. So stick with it. Don't try to be something you're not. So one last question I just want to throw out there on the, on the Sabres, um, you know, looking at the organization right now, of course, you know, we're in the midst of a lengthy losing streak, 12 games now. Right. And then that, of course, again, as we had said, resulted in the firing of Ralph Kruger. Um, Generally speaking, with the exception of a handful of guys on the team, players have been underperforming this season, but they're, is at least on paper talent on this roster. So I'm curious whether you think that the Sabres need like a complete shakeup, or do you think that like they have, the pieces in place right now and they need to just supplement the existing current key pieces on the roster? Yeah, good question. Uh, I, I look at the roster and go, it's pretty good. That's some right. good depth. Like, you know, you got some great players there. Uh, I just, it's really hard to put your finger on it, but sometimes that, and there's some veteran guys too there that and that's where you count on when things are bad, your veteran guys need to step up and tell those young guys, Hey, you just got to keep it simple and do this. I don't know if that's happening or not, but I'm sure it is. Um, but 
shake up sometimes it, it works and everybody goes you know everybody's on edge a little bit and they play a little bit harder because they don't want to move or they don't want to go somewhere else and maybe some guys do want to move it's hard to say but every individual is kind of different um uh i i believe they got good enough players to be okay like i mm-hmm. i looked at the roster this year and went why wow, they're, they're gonna they're gonna be there and then all of a sudden just didn't happen their goaltending has been fantastic i think um, i think they've been really good um um, their defense is young and, and they got some veteran guys back there and they're off. They definitely have the offensive capabilities guys, Reinhardt and Eichel and uh, now Taylor Hall, like some great players. So yeah, I know it's a tough one. It's, it, it's a mental battle right now and they got to mentally find their way out of it. That's all they can do and just keep things simple and hopefully you get a bounce here and there. And sometimes, you know, you shoot the puck and it goes in. Sometimes you can't buy one. The game against Jersey, they were right there. It was so close, like it, they were in that game. And then, you know, they score one late and it's over. So, uh, um, yeah, well, I, w- I wish we all had answers because we don't <laughs> figure it out. We'd be yeah, right. off this losing streak. But uh, I think it's just, say, it comes down to in your head and you, you got to just for, try to block everything out. It's very, very difficult. But, you know, and the press gets going and the fans, you know, get on them and the stuff and the paper comes out and the rankings come out and, and they put Seattle ahead of them in the <laughs> rankings. And we saw that the other day, which is, which is crazy, but uh, yeah, we hope that it changes. Uh, I don't know what the answer is. And um, uh, I hopefully we do. They just keep going and eventually they get that one win. Yeah. So kind of uh, transitioning to your, uh, your playing days now. So you, you talked already about how, you know, you're not going to be in the bubble for the, the WHL this year. Uh, so last year, obviously, the, the NHL playoffs were entirely in a bubble for, I don't even remember how long it was. It was because there was an entire extra round. It was like two and a half months for the teams that made the cup. And then this year, obviously, it's not a bubble, but it's different. Some places have like no fans. Some places are like 10%, 20%. The, the league is telling, you know, players to really not do anything outside of games to try to avoid you know, people getting COVID and spreading it. Uh, so what do you think it would be like to play under, like under these circumstances? Well, I, I know last year when, when we shut down a year ago, we were supposed to go to Everett and they said, there's going to be no fans in the stands. And I said, what? We can't play a game with no fans. And there's no way it, it, that's stupid. Like we play for the fans and I'm uh, sure enough here, here we go through a whole season of it, but um it, it, it's got to be weird. Like it's funny. I'm watching the games on TV. I can hear the guys on the bench yelling. And, uh, you know, people are, I know the stadiums are trying to punch in no fan noise and stuff, but, um, you know, who's the, who's the happiest right now is the referees because they're not getting booed when they make a bad call. (laughs) 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 They're they're, they're calling everything right now. It's ridiculous. Right. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's, I I don't, I I haven't done it yet. So it would be weird, but, uh, um, yeah, you just that, feeling when you score and your home rink when you put one in and, and and the cheer and you announce your name they're still announcing names and they go why is this guy announcing it so loud there's nobody in the building <laughs> yeah uh, I, yeah so, i told them do uh, like three stars in some of the games yeah, the guys yeah, yeah. And, like kind of like to nobody no <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly i see somebody went out there and waved are we waving to I think it was Stone on Vegas. He waving to the crowd. I'm going, who are you waving to? Oh my god! Yeah, pretty, yeah it's it's got to be difficult. Uh, and that the bubble thing, I, I can't imagine. That's hard. Like, you know, they say they can't go anywhere, but 
cases have been really good. I've been keeping up with that. There hasn't been a one up in, in the Canadian division and there's three or four in the league right now. So that's really good. And the Western league's done testing in the, in Alberta and Saskatchewan and they've had zero cases. So that's, that's positive great. right there. So let's hope that keeps up. That's definitely great. Um, so transitioning away from, from COVID one question that I was uh, another one, I'd kind of been thinking about that. I was curious with, so Taylor and I both feel this way. A lot of people feel this way. Uh, you had the, you throughout your career played with two of arguably even like the top five best players in the history of the NHL and Mario Lemieux and Dominic Hasek. Um, dominant in ways, you know, matched by only uh, a handful, if any at all, really for that matter. And so what I was curious about was, uh, you know, when you were teammates with both of them, was there anything that you had saw that was like any commonalities between the way that they approached the game that made them so dominant and so great? Boy, no, I think they were both totally so different. <laughs> That's oh, what's okay. Crazy about it. Mario was very calm, very relaxed, very confident in himself. And people thought he was cocky, but he, he really wasn't. He, he, he was confident. He knew he could do things. I, oh, I can, I can go through the whole team. I'm going, oh, you cannot. He, he could. So, uh, it's, and he was very calm and relaxed about it. I remember one time he had a penalty shot against Kelly Rudy, and there wasn't many penalty shots back then. And they didn't call many. And he comes by the bench and says, hey, hey, boys, any bets? Any bets? And I go, yeah, I think you're going to score. And he went <laughs> in and he made a fake to the top corner and he put it between Kelly's legs. And I said, were you going top corner there? And he goes, yeah, but he took it away. So I went five hole. I go, how do you think that fast wow. right there in front of him? <laughs> Amazing. Because we can't think that fast. So and mm -hmm. he was just so relaxed and so calm. And, and don't get him mad because he'd go out and score three goals. And, <laughs> and I remember. Tiger Williams calling him a francophone name uh, and uh, he got so mad he scored three and Tiger said, yeah, I guess I shouldn't have called him that one. Eh? <laughs> yeah. And Dom was very focused. Like the best thing about Dom is he read the play before it was happening and he, he would see the puck in the corner, but he'd also see the guy in front of the net. So he was anticipating. He was very good at that. He was very good about seeing what was going to happen next. And uh, that's what made him so good. And, really didn't see that coming with Dom. Like, you know, he played for Chicago and he got him in a trade. He was our backup to Grant Fuhrer. And then all of a sudden, wow, like just look at this guy's style. Like he was, he wouldn't catch it. He would knock it down and he would throw a stick down and grab it with his blocker. And we're going, this is crazy. I remember the first time I saw Dom was in the world championships. It might've been 1986. And I walked into the arena and the checks were playing and the play was in the other end. I think we were playing the Russians and he was sitting down. And I go, look at the goalie. He's sitting down. <laughs> I've never seen a goalie sit down during a play before. <laughs> but, well, smart. You know, stand up the whole time. Might as well sit down for a while while you can and rest. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that was dumb. He, just, he was thinking of something different that nobody else did. And, and his, I'd say, his anticipation. And i never forget, uh, guy in front, guy in front, and the puck was nowhere near that in front. So he was always thinking what was going to happen next, and I think that's what made him so good. Yeah, he. it's really interesting because obviously he's a six-time Vesna winner, two MVPs. He, I believe, broke the record for save percentage multiple times, and yet he didn't really get a shot till he was 28. And like you mentioned there, like he didn't, he wasn't the starter when he came to Buffalo. He wasn't the starter in Chicago. Um, why do you think that was, that it, that it took him pe took people so long to realize how good he was? Because it's, it's, there's really no other parallel in NHL history. 
I think it was his competitive nature. He knew that he could, he could play. And I think he wanted that one chance. And when he got it, he says, okay, this is my chance. Uh, I'm going with it. And that was Dom. He was very determined. And when he said, okay, this is, I'm in, I'm not losing this spot. And that was the way he was focused on that. And um, he was very, very competitive in that nature of like, once I, he was, he would get mad if you scored on him in practice. Like I said, Dom, just let me score one in practice. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no problem. And, and the, the, the overtime game uh, against New Jersey, when he had 72 shots on net. <laughs> and I said, Dom, that's unbelievable, 72 shots on goal. And you only let in one. He goes, oh, it's no problem. In practice, 100 shots. It's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing that he would practice, too. Like, he would challenge you. Like, he did not want to get beat in practice. And something that we're going to pass on to some of our, our kid goalies that I'm coaching now, and I said, you know what? I play with a guy in Don has. This guy did not want to get scored on in practice. That's what you, mentality you got to have to be good. And they go, what? Practice. <laughs> I said, that's Don Asik. Look, look what he did. Right. It worked out pretty well for him. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I'm curious, was there anybody else then in your career that you felt like matched that competitive edge that Dom had? Or what, yeah. do you think that he was alone? Yeah. I, I, well, there's a lot of guys that are very competitive. Uh, wow. So many guys. Uh, I, just in his position, I think he was ahead of everybody else that way. Uh, you know, most goalies were, okay, I'm going to focus on the puck, but say he was a focused on the next move, what was happening. And he was a big chess player. Mm -hmm. So maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. <laughs> he was always thinking of his next move in chess, that his next move on the ice, maybe that had something to do with it. But um, yeah, thinking about that, it's the only goalie in that position that I knew was was that thinking that way everybody else was thinking stop at the puck but he was right any else. players come to mind oh jeepers so many guys uh um yeah there's got to be somebody <laughs> uh, you know there's a guy well of course there's guys like uh you know dale howard who was just loved to play the game and and was wanted to score so bad and was so determined uh um everybody was everybody's so different it, it's amazing like you know there's a guy like kevin stevens who was just so relaxed and so calm and just couldn't believe he scored half the time so uh, <laughs> a goal. i don't know how i did it <laughs> so yeah everybody has their own different ways and uh um those two guys stand out in my mind like you mentioned so um i'm sure there's other guys who i'll think of later when we're done like oh yeah i should have thought of that guy so um, but, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's a gift you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when we had you on, uh, last year, you talked about how you had a good friendship with, uh, Dave Anderchuk when you both played on the team together. Uh, and in that 92, 93 season, which is obviously a pretty memorable year for Sabres fans, you had him, he had 50 goals. Uh, LaFontaine had 148 points. McGillney had 76 goals. Even Howard Chuck actually had, I believe 80 points or 80 assists that year and more than hundred points. And, there's a, a very uh, consequential trade that season where the, the Sabres traded Andrew Chuck and I believe Darren Pupo to get Grant Fuhrer, which at the time probably made sense to try to upgrade goaltending and give up a little scoring while you had a bunch of scoring. But as it turned out, you know, maybe you didn't really need that upgrade in goaltending because you, you, they already had Hashik on the team. Do you yeah. think, you know, in hindsight, if maybe, you know, they knew a little bit earlier, they realized kind of what hash it could be that kept Andrew Chuck. Do you think there could have been the following years, maybe go a little differently just because obviously McGillney, he never got close to 76 again. And LaFontaine just, you know, kept getting hurt after that, kept getting concussions and the scoring kind of really went down after that. 
So do you think having someone like Andrew Chuck who continued to put up crazy numbers year after year could have maybe helped a little bit, maybe you guys get over the hump in 94, 95, 96, anything like that? Oh, definitely for sure. You look back in hindsight now, like, you know, Poopa was the man. Like Darren was the goalie and he he struggled a few games there. And I remember Muckler just going bananas on the bench and he goes, Oh my God, we need a goaltender. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we had uh, Tom Draper and uh, a couple other guys that came up there. I can't even remember now, but uh, um, you imagine having Dom and keeping Dave Hanerchuk on the team and how close we were against Montreal. Was that 93? Yeah. 93. Mm-hmm. How close we were with when Alex actually wasn't playing, he broke his ankle and he wasn't even in the lineup. And if we had all those guys, I believe the next year we would have been a serious contender for sure. Like, when, you know, you, you can't take away a six foot four forward that can score 50 goals. <laughs> right. That's really hard to replace. But I know Muck wanted Grant Fear. He, he said that we need a goaltender. And the price was Dave Anderchuk. And he had to make that decision. And, and uh, you know, you look back now, if we knew Dom was going to be as good as he was, boy, I'm pretty sure he would have kept Dave for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And honestly, that it kind of uh, has a really, you know, long domino effect just because by the time, you know, 98, they're in the conference finals. That's obviously after you're gone, but yeah, 99, yeah. they're in the Stanley Cup. And that Stanley Cup team in the playoffs, their leading scorers were Alexi Shitnik and Jason Woolley, I believe, mm-hmm. like the two defensemen. They, they didn't really score. So maybe yeah. one guy, you know, could make that difference. Yeah, yeah. I see Dom with a few more years under his belt there and the same team as 93. Wow, that could have been that could have been special for sure. That would have been like multiple cups. I mean, that that was the, the talent on that to um, me, 92-93 is like the lost season that yeah. obviously among Sabres fans, people always look back at that team as like one of the best of all time, but like Oh my God, just ridiculous numbers guys were putting up then. And you know, that is a great point that. Andrew Chuck really having that additional firepower, especially, you know, while you're shorthanded, that would have made all the difference for sure. Um, So actually, and with that in mind too, you know, it's obviously no secret as we've learned through just talking here the past couple minutes that you've played with a lot of incredible teammates throughout your career. I'm just curious if there was anybody else that you never had a chance to play with uh, who was in the league at the time who you would have wanted to play with. Wow. Good, good one. Um, who would I wanted to play with? Uh, you know, I was this close to getting traded to the Edmonton Oilers in 80, 85, 86, after my first year. Um, I played in Camus. We were owned by Edmonton. And uh, we had all their gear. come. They sent it down because of the same colors. And the scouts were following us around quite a bit. And uh, Coffee was having contract negotiation problems. And they wanted me to go to that team. And there, there was, we, we needed a goaltender and it was Andy Moog for me. I heard the rumors. I feel pretty sure I was going <clears throat> and, and coffee was probably in that deal too. Cause he was having contract problems, but uh, um, it was pretty close to being on a pretty good hockey team. Uh, Eddie Johnson <laughs> yeah. did not want to trade his young guys and he kept me. And eventually they ended up doing a deal for coffee with Craig Simpson and, and uh, Marty McSorley and those guys, but it was pretty close to be playing with a pretty special team. And you look back now and go, Oh my, Holy smokes. Like I could have won my three <laughs> cups. <laughs> and I didn't even come close. <laughs> so, so 
so that that team i guess would have been pretty special um i always love watching a guy like ray bork because we played against him so much and i'd sit on the bench and watch him track to the middle of the ice and go wow just the power in his stride and i tried to to skate like him i tried to mimic the way i played like ray bork coming off that wall i could hear his skates dig in i never forget it boom 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 dig in and I went, wow, that's power. And that's something I really worked on a lot. It would have been great to, man, just play with a guy like that. The fun, fun thing is sometimes you go to these world championships and you play with other players and, and, and it's really, it's really cool to meet those guys and, and have a chance uh, and to go with them and, uh, and play with them. And uh, um, otherwise, you know, I, I got, you know, Dougie Gilmore in New Jersey and Dave Anatrek was there and, what a great team. Scott Niedemeyer, Scott Stevens. Um, wow, you, there's so many good guys. Owen Nolan in, in, uh, in San Jose. And you look at um, um, some of the guys, and, and of course, on Buffalo, you LaFontaine, Mogilny, Howarchuk, Anderchuk, all those guys, and Dom, and then Pittsburgh with Kevin Stevens and, and uh, Mario and, and uh, you know, Ton of, ton of guys that were, you look back and you go, wow, it's pretty impressive that you got to play with all those guys. And I really, there's so many guys in the league, it, it, hard to say one of them, but my list is pretty, pretty good that uh, I can look back on and go, these guys are all, half of them, in there, or most of them are there on the Hall of Fame. So uh, right. it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty neat to look back and go, wow. Every time some one of the, oh, Phil Housley, another guy, was my partner in Buffalo. Yeah. And, you look at his numbers as an 18 year old, he was five foot 10 <laughs> and 160 pounds. And he put up 40 points in it as an 18 year old in the national hockey league coming out of Minnesota high school. Mm -hmm. Like that is amazing. Like this league is hard enough. And that's when they were holding and grabbing and hooking you. <laughs> Imagine Phil Housley now. He was so good. Like, and you know, I, I think fans in Buffalo appreciated him. He wasn't the greatest on, on the defensive side, but that's where I came in and, and tried to help him. And I was, I was staying back and covering for him as much as I could, but he was so fast. He would get back and be there. So uh, another fantastic player and he's in the hockey hall of fame and Andrew Chuck and Niedemeyer and Stevens and, and, you know, Howard Chuck, Lemieux, so many, it's, it's pretty incredible really. Yeah, another one of your teammates that people have uh, talked about making the Hall of Fame recently is, is Alexander McGillney, and that it hasn't happened yet. It it might happen in the next couple of years. We'll see. But what what are your thoughts on that? Do you think he uh, he should be enshrined? Oh, for sure. But I don't think Alex really cares. Honestly, <laughs> 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 Alex does not care. <laughs> he, it would bother him to fly that far from Russia. <laughs> What, I got to fly out to the Hall of Fame for a half an hour? Uh, no. <laughs> That's Alex. You know, don't make a fuss about me. I did what I did, and I played as what I did. And, and the funny thing about Alex is when he was, he was a very shy guy. He did not want to talk to the press at all. And he used his famous line, no English, and he was perfectly good in English. <laughs> he wanted to go golfing. He didn't want to. <laughs> but I could see Alex going, you know, you're not getting in the Hall of Fame. He goes, it doesn't bother me, Eddie. You know, I'm good. I, I had a great career and I, had, I did well. And if I don't get in the Hall of Fame, I'll be fine. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. You mentioned it like him being kind of a shy guy there and obviously had kind of a crazy situation with him defecting. And there's, there's a bunch of stories that have come out about him. I think it was Don Luce maybe that just kind of like picked him up in a mall and he kind of just ran to his car and they just flew to the, they basically drove to the airport super quick, flew out and never looked back. And there's, I remember I've, I've looked back, there's a few stories like early in his career that he kind of wanted to quit or he had uh, issues here and there that he had trouble dealing with. But what was it like to, you know, be his teammate while he went from that, you know, like young guy, kind of scared to go to being a guy who had 76 goals in a season and was one of the most exciting players in the league? Yeah, well, it's incredible for him, you know, and again, mentally, like in, he told me he may never see his family again. And this, it was a good story when Don Luce and uh, there was another Russian guy. It was the Commonwealth Games, I think. And they smuggled them out of Germany. And they said they were on the Autobahn and they were going 150 miles an hour. Go, go, get out of here. And they were heading to a plane as fast as they could. And, uh, of course, there was always guys watching. And they were on the run. And he made it. And I, I asked him about it a few times. And he said, I may never see my family again. I, I don't know. It was, you know, the, the curtain was up. And he goes, I may never see my parents. And, and then, of course, things loosened up. And, and actually, his parents got to come over, which was very cool. And, but for him to put up those numbers and never, may never see your family again is, is incredible to think about. Like, how did you focus on hockey when, you, when this was all going on? And, and uh, yeah, the stories were, were, were something. And what, what courage and determination to say, hey, I'm, I'm doing this. And, and uh, he didn't want to be told what to do and he wanted to do his own thing and that's what he wanted to be in this league and I know there was a guy that that got him over here a Russian guy that came back a few years later and wanted more money out of him and oh. said he was going to stab him in the legs if he oh didn't. my god I don't know if you guys heard that story so it was security came in that we had they had to uh, take this guy away and oh. he came back looking for more money so Alex was always that was always in the back of his head and I I think that's what made him a bit shy. He didn't really want anybody to know his business off the ice or what he was doing. And, and, and I don't blame him. His guard was up from the time, but it was really cool to have his parents uh, come over and, and uh, he, he was really proud to show him. And he said his dad would go into the meat aisle and he was loading the grocery store and steak, <laughs> after steak, after steak. He goes, dad, what are you doing? Oh, got to get some meat. He goes, it'll be here tomorrow. Don't worry about it. He, didn't, he thought it was one day the meat comes in. So he was loading all up in the grocery cart. So oh, my gosh. Fun, fun, you know, fun stories about Russian. And I, I did actually got to, I got to room with Yuri Himalov. And uh, he told me some fantastic stories about Russia. It was, it was so – and I was really interested in it. His, his brother was in the space program. And I said, wow, that's unbelievable. I said, get him over here. He goes, no way, no chance. No chance. Because he knows too much. There's no chance. I said, how much does he make? He have hundred dollars a week in the space program. It was, wow. it was incredible. And Yuri told me that when he used to go over the border, he would go home for the summer and there's no bank accounts over there. He had money stashed in his shoes, in his underwear, and he had a little in his pocket. And when he crossed the border, um, they would go, what do you do? And he'd say, I'm a hockey player. And the guys had guns and they'd Shh give me money and he had some in his pocket that he would give them but he had hundreds of thousands of dollars stashed in his shoes and in his underwear that that was his summer fun and it was incredible stories and and 
of, of this way the rush what they were treated over there was amazing and I said to him, well, tell me about your house, Yuri. He says, no house, I have an apartment. I said, you have an apartment? And he goes, yeah, the wife and the baby sleep in the bed and I sleep in the kitchen. And I said, yeah, in the kitchen? That's terrible, Yuri. He goes, Bud's not so bad. You just open fridge and (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. We got to be pretty good friends on the road. We told some great stories and, we had some fun with Yuri. He was he was so good. I think he still lives in Buffalo. I haven't seen him in years, but uh, we used to go for dinner and we'd make the waitresses sing happy birthday to him every, every <laughs> day. So we said, it's his birthday today. So they'd give him cake and he'd love cake and he'd eat cake. And actually one time I said to him, Yuri, when actually is your birthday? And he says, in America, every day, apparently. <laughs> Well, that actually kind of makes me curious. So any from your time in Buffalo, who were the uh, like the standout personalities on the teams? Oh, of course, Rob Ray and Matthew Barnaby. (laughs) They would yell at each other. It was comical. Brad May, of course. Yeah, those three guys were, you know, and, and, you know, Grant Ledyard was always had something to say. And, and, uh, you know, Randy Moeller was one of the funniest guys I ever played with. And, uh, and then, then there's Dean Kennedy, the farmer who would shoot anything, any animal he could see in front of him. So uh, quite the characters that uh, you end up uh, end up playing with all those years. But definitely Barnaby and, and Ray, they would shut up those two. Oh, <laughs> so actually, an announcer now. <laughs> right. Kind of appropriate then, you know. Yeah, for sure. So and speaking of teammates of yours, so I, and you had kind of actually talked about the world championships uh, before you had played on the uh, 1996 silver medal team for Canada and had teammates like Paul Correa, Martin Brodeur, Ray Ferraro, Curtis Joseph, plenty more. I would just love to hear what that experience was like. I'm sure you probably have some, some great stories from that time. Yeah, that was, that was fun. Uh, we had, <laughs> Joseph and Brodeur were our goalies. I go, oh man, this is uh, this is going to be crazy. <laughs> we're, we're, we're probably going to win this, but uh, it was long over there. We always started so slow, and and uh, back then it was really we all missed the playoffs or got beat out in the first round. It was kind of a vacation for us, so we were going to Europe and for a vacation and really didn't care what place we finished in. It was more of a vacation and the guys had fun and we got to go to towns in Europe and got to experience the, the people and go out to the clubs and see what it was like in Austria. And, and uh, it, it was, it was so much fun and the guys were so good. And, and uh, you know, Dave King, I think was our coach that year in 96. He was so worried about the players and, they were really happy when the wives came in because then the, they would settle the guys down so they wouldn't be going out all night long. <laughs> <laughs> but we had a lot of fun. We, we had a lot of fun. Guys, like, I remember going to castles and at, late at night and guys go, what do you guys do? Is we play for Team Canada. No, oh, you don't. You'd be home right now. Oh, we play for Team Canada. We're out having a beer. <laughs> We're taking it very serious. <laughs> Let's over here to have some fun. <laughs> But that, that year, 96, was silver. That was a long, I remember, long, long year. Uh, a month over there. Um, you go to, you go up, end up going to Toronto for a week to practice and then fly over and exhibition games. And it just dragged out so long. I was so tired at the end of that. We, I think, uh, who scored the goal? Uh, we beat the Czechs beat us and 
was like a one goal game and uh, we ended up getting a silver and they put it around your neck and I looked down, I go, this is it? <laughs> this is what I spent a month over here doing and I'm totally exhausted right now, but <laughs> great experience and great to meet all those guys. Paul Correa is a fantastic guy, a great hockey player. We had, we had a good team there, we had a lot of fun and uh, those are good memories for sure. I think I got an 86, in the, I think that's the 86 jersey back there in the background there. Oh, wow. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Very old one. <laughs> Some of them are around here somewhere. I don't know where, but uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, a Dale Howarchuk earlier, and you actually mentioned him last year when, you know, we had you on as well. And obviously he uh, no longer with us after, you know, his battle with stomach cancer uh, ended last August. Uh, but is there anything you wanted to say about him? Yeah. Yeah. It's, what a great guy. Um, I think I, you know, I, when I thought about it, I, I wrote something down and it was really funny because he's got this um, Howard Chuck Strong um, t-shirts and hats going. So I ordered it. I heard he was sick. And the day I got my shirt was the day he died. Wow. So it was very, very upsetting. Oh, how ironic is that? All of a sudden my shirt comes in the mail and I heard he died that day. But it, I talked to him once and it was last, it was, it was August of uh, yeah 19 he got diagnosed and didn't make August of 20. So, uh, but I think the words I had was one of the top guys I've ever played with. They say Gretzky Lemieux. I put Dale Howard at number three for sure. You know, a small market, Winnipeg, nobody really knew who he was. Um, come to Buffalo, another little small market team. If he was in Toronto, oh my God, it would be crazy. The guy would love to play the game. It's so sad. Uh, he was such, you know, we got to be pretty good friends and we chatted every once in a while. Uh, so much respect for him. But, and I said, he's a great, great guy, great, a great hockey player and a hall of famer, but even a better person. And, and that's what was really important to me that he was such a nice guy to be around and, and uh, you know, never forget him, our time together. It's uh, it was a pretty hard day. And I did a few interviews with guys they wanted to know. And I said, man, such a bad thing to happen to such a great guy. And, um, you know, um, good family guy and uh, just love to play the game. Just guys you want to be around. And that's guys you want to be associated with. And I'm glad, I'm so glad I got the honor to play with him and feed him the puck and, you know, pass him, pass him the power play and him yell at me sometimes. Give me the puck, not Patty. I'm open. <laughs> but Patty wants it too. So both of you are pulling at me here. <laughs> And Dale on this side and LaFontaine on this side. And they both wanted it. And I had to keep them both happy. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I actually – do you have anything else? I, I actually was just kind of curious, too. Just uh, We hadn't really talked about him a ton right now. But, you know, your experience playing with Pat LaFontaine, uh, as Taylor had said, you know, he finished second uh, in scoring in that 92-93 season with 148 points right behind Mario Lemieux. Um, one of the best American-born hockey players of all time, the Sabres all-time great. You know, what was your experience like playing with him? And I think Sabres fans would especially be curious just because, you know, everybody who is, of course, alive and watched him play back in the 90s, they have their fond memories. But for some fans, their most recent memories of him are the ones of him recently leaving the Sabres organization, um, kind of under not so great terms. He's one of my favorite players of all time. But I, I'm just kind of curious, you know, what was your experience like playing with him? Well, obviously, fantastic player. Um, like say, one of the top American players going. Um, uh, he, he, could, he was such a great skater. He, could, he had speed in that small little rink. 
yeah, you think back, imagine if you played in a bigger rink and you had more room and right. that small rink was not a lot of room. Patty was so good at around the net and saw the play so well. Uh, he, uh, he, he could beat guys with his speed. He could score. Uh, he, he just, he could see the openings. He knew when to get in the holes. Uh, tremendous player. You don't put up 120 points in a year just for nothing. Right. Uh, and the combination of having Alex Mogilny and Dave Anderchuk and, and, and all those guys is, is huge, right? Uh, you, you, you're only as good as your personnel. So, uh, but you know, um, you look back at the numbers, it's, it's amazing. And, and it, maybe they don't stand out as much as a Mario or whatever, but I look back and he did 120 points just kind of secretly. But of course, Alex scored what 80, 75 that year, but and you know, Patty probably had 70 assists there too. So uh, yeah, right. Yeah, it's all actually two together. Yeah. I think yeah. we're a great combination. <laughs> oh yeah, it's even crazier than you you remember. It's uh, he had 53 goals and 95 assists. He had 148 points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I look I look at that now and go. Uh, funny, I gotta look back at that and go, holy, 148 points! Like, yeah, it doesn't happen that's, anymore, right? No, so yeah, that's, that, that's just a tremendous talent. He could skate, he could score, he he had a great hands around the net. Um, you know, he he had it all. You know, um, that's I saw him when he was just a youngster. Uh, we were only youngster. I was a youngster. Uh, in a major tournament in Hull, Quebec, and he was playing for Compuware in Detroit. And it was him and Alfie Turkov were the only two centermen they had. And they just rotated through three lines. And they were on the ice every second time. And he was just flying. And I went, holy, look at this guy. It's unbelievable. Wow. And him get to the New York Islanders and, and was on the end of those, you know, those tremendous teams with, with Clark Gillies and Bob Nystrom and Bobby Bourne. And he learned from those guys a little bit about the competitiveness. And Brian Trache is a fantastic guy. Uh, he learned from those guys how to, you know, how to produce and how to play the game. So uh, that, that's where it started for him. And I think he just carried that through. Well, Doug, we really appreciate you taking the time to come chat with us. Uh, you know, as we had said before, it's not exactly the, the best time to be a Sabres fan, but uh, on behalf of us both and, and Sabres fans everywhere, we really appreciate getting to hear from you and hear about some of the good old days, uh, you know, when uh, we were having a little bit more success than we are right now. <laughs> yeah thanks it's been fun it's been fun looking back all the time sometimes you forget it's been so it's you know, years go by and it's really fun reminiscing again about those guys and uh you know after you're done you just become you fit into the normal person category and try to get back into hockey but uh um those, those are fun times and you really appreciate and you really uh look back and go wow it's amazing that i was even there so uh it's pretty special and I hope everybody appreciates those some of those teams they were good there it was it was good hockey oh yeah oh yeah so one thing that we actually do that we close off every show with uh we call it our random savers player of the episode where we just will throw out just one random savers player from any point in history and Taylor yeah. and I were thinking since we have you on we uh we'd love to hear if you have somebody in mind one of your teammates because we were also thinking about throwing someone out there uh, but yeah, we normally just do that just to kind of highlight a random player, you know, just to throw a name yeah. out to reminisce. <laughs> throw a name out to reminisce. Holy, no, I got to think about that. I give you my Yuri Himmel. That was one of my favorite guys. Uh, hmm. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good guy. Uh, 
one guy I really enjoyed playing with was Wayne Presley. Oh, okay. Uh, just a, a good guy he stood in front of the net and shoveled the goal once in a while. Pretty good shot, you know, find the corners and uh, just a good, good down to earth kind of guy. Love playing with Wayne. Love that. Cool. I'm going to go with Bob Sweeney, a teammate on oh, uh, the famous 92-93. Yeah. Uh, Swoopy Sweeney. I think he played with uh, Elvis, called him Elvis Presley, Wayne Presley. I think they were on the same line together. Maybe oh, Randy Wood. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is kind of crazy, but I was actually going to say Wayne Presley. And no way. <laughs> it's obviously for a different reason. I just heard a story for the first time. <laughs> Uh, that someone I know told that when he was a kid, he went to a Sabres game and it was on Elvis's birthday and they did a giveaway of masks that were Wayne Presley masks, but in the style of old Elvis masks. <laughs> so, oh, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, I don't know if you guys recently saw the hockey card of uh, Sylvain Turgeon. I don't know if you've seen that or not. No, I don't think. Uh, there's, a, there's a hockey card out of Sylvain Turgeon. It's uh, Dale Howardchuk and me in the picture. Turgeon's falling down. And it's Patty Kane in the stands on his dad's lap in the front row. Come on. Yeah, that's his first hockey card. And he just had his 1,000th game, and somebody had posted it that, uh, that uh, uh, I think it was Bar Down Hockey, that uh, three of these guys are going to hit their 1,000th game tonight, and one of them is sitting in the stands. So it's Patrick oh, Kane's uh, first hockey card. It's on a Sylvain Turgeon hockey card. If you ever find it, it's pretty good. He's sitting there in the front row with his eyes this wide. Chuck <laughs> on his dad's lap. It's pretty funny. Wow. Wow. That is incredible. I feel like I've seen the, the pictures of him from the arena. I, I didn't realize it was that one. That is really cool, though. I have to definitely check that out. Yeah, pretty cool. It's been coming up quite a bit lately. Are you active on social media at all, Doug? Uh, Instagram, yeah. Oh, you are? Okay, great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. very nice. Where can people find you on Instagram? Uh, Bodger Doug. At, is it at Bodger Doug? <laughs> All right. Well, well, we'll make sure we tag I'm you. I'm new to it. it. I'm new to it. All right. Cool. We like that. No, we'll, we'll make sure we tag you in it when we post on our Instagram. Sounds good. All right. Well, Doug, thank you so much again. It was a pleasure. Hopefully, uh, you know, we'll have the chance to chat with you again sometime soon if you'd ever like to come back on. Yeah, for sure. Anytime, guys. Good Love fun. it. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody. Thank you all very much for listening. This has been Straight Up Sabres presented by the Hockey Podcast Network and Buffalo Fanatics. 